Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Sitcom Club. Joining myself, Hey Ho, Mooncat and Co. is your old pal Osho. Hello. Now, what in the wide world of comedics are we doing today? We're looking at the upper hand episode, Quantum Leap. Can we just discuss your incredulity? This has gone back quite a bit. This has gone back about sort of a year and a half or so. I'm not quite sure how the topic came up, but for whatever reason, we were discussing the upper hand and you came out with this utterly absurd theory that there was an episode in one of the latter series that was a pastiche, to some extent, of the popular American light-hearted drama series Quantum Leap, seen in the UK on BBC Two back in the day. And rightly, I said, what a load of balls. Don't be so bloody stupid. How could you say such a thing and expect to be taken seriously? Why is this unbelievable? Quantum Leap going out on... I mean, when did it go out? Was it... Was that Thursday thing? I don't remember. But anyway, it was one of those six o'clock BBC Two sort of things. There was a guy out of what's now, isn't he now in one of the new Star Treks or whatever, Scott Bakula, is that his name? And he's like, well, hey, oh, I've just turned up here and then he's got to do something. Or Look it. What? What year is it? What, what year is it now? Yes. 2014? Just checking. Okay. Oh, isn't he one in one of the new Star Trek... <laughs> Let me just check when Enterprise got cancelled. Never mind. I don't know. I mean, I just know that it was subsequent to Picard. Is that his name? So if it's after himself, whose son yeah, I can't remember. It, it finished nine years ago. Well, just before we started this podcast, I was saying to yourself about how I'd just been watching Sheik and Nile Rogers in concert and how in this lovely HD presentation, a 2004 concert can look exactly like 2014. There was absolutely nothing with which you could have said, oh, that's clearly a decade old. So how the hell am I supposed so to know? that's the drawback, I'm a, you think? I'm not a Star Trekker. I don't... Well, I'm not either. I'm just aware that people stopped talking about it a long time ago. And I just wanted to be sure that you hadn't been mixing bleach and ammonia. Well, who on earth would do such a thing? Right, why is it so completely and utterly beyond the bounds of possibility for mainstream sitcom The Upper Hand to make fun of moderately mainstream. Okay, it's on BBC Two, but it's not like, uh, oh yeah, that episode of The Upper Hand where they made fun of Sallow or 120 Days of Sodom. (laughs) We haven't actually seen all of Series 6 yet, so don't rule it out entirely. But, okay, now I'm just thinking that a moderately, in the UK, a moderately popular American drama series on BBC Two of an early evening, not even talking like as popular as Moonlighting or something like that, that that's suddenly going to become the basis for a very popular ITV sitcom at half past eight in the evening. Now, I just that just doesn't fit. It doesn't feel right. So that's why, correctly, I called bullshit on this. And... So, sorry, sorry. There's there's one word I would quibble about. Correctly. Well, yeah, because this is what I was coming to. Because that should have been the end of the matter. You wouldn't have tried to pursue this nonsensical line again. However, unbelievably, and by some billions of one coincidence, it actually turned out that it was true. I watched, well, I didn't watch it at the time. It was on television at the time, and I saw it, and I thought, boy, they are really getting hard done by for ideas. This isn't even the last series of The Upper Hand, is it? It's supposed to be. True. But 
you'd think that if you still had like the big finale, the big, I mean, I'm going to come out with a spoiler, but if you don't know by now, you could probably hazard a guess that Charlie and Caroline get married at the end of what should have been the last episode. So you'd think that with that coming up, that everything would have been sort of building to that point and you wouldn't really have any bloody stupid jump in the shark type episodes. Well, this is kind of built into the story. This is the moment where he questions his life decisions. Unlike most of us, he doesn't do it at five o'clock in the morning in Ardrossan. <laughs> he does it in the comfort of his own kitchen while breathing in deadly fumes. But this is the whole thing of, ah, but... Will he really be happy with Caroline? Wouldn't he have been more happy if he'd continued his footballing career? Yeah, I know what you mean, but even so, as far as telling that story about Charlie having man's doubts, I suppose you could say. <laughs> it's a funny way to go about it. I mean, couldn't he have like a midlife crisis instead? Instead of mixing household cleaning substances, which is not a good thing to do under any circumstances. Couldn't he just get Harley Davidson and cut his hair and start wearing white t-shirts and leather jackets and what have you? Rather than have all this, oh, I'm... What's his name in It's a Wonderful Life? What's the, I know it's Jimmy Stewart, but what's the character's name? I've got you there. Yes, you have. I knew it immediately before you asked that question. <laughs> Well, whatever, let's say his name's Glenn Close, and he's like wandering around all over the place, and he's in black and white, and he's saying, oh god, what's going on? And then everything's fine. You'd think if they were going to do this story, that bollocks to the Quantum Leap nonsense, let's just do It's a Wonderful Life. Do that. George Bailey. So, I'm guessing that maybe this is a way, I can almost picture it. I don't know if they had a writer's room in the upper hand. Well, they just, they all sit around the table and just sort of shoot the shit, have a talk. Talk Townley from Emmerdale. Definitely. That would be great. <laughs> so that's what happens. They're all sitting around going, the ideas just aren't coming. We need a talk. Well, let's just say that for the sake of argument, Talk Townley's still around in 1994. Yorkshire Television. Is talk available? Great. Okay. Yeah, talk. We're thinking of doing an It's a Wonderful Life pastiche. Oh, holds the receiver away for all the shouting. As Talk Town, he says, that's the most hackneyed, cliched idea. You've really run out. You need something mod. You need something 90s. You need something the kids are into. The kids, they're all in to the quantum leap. Talk has a point. We can dress up exactly the same idea in science fictional clothing. Because it's like, what's quantum leap about? It's about a guy who sees history going one way and making sure it goes another Bit like that line in Paris when it sizzles. Have you ever noticed My Fair Lady and Frankenstein are the same story? <laughs> well, okay. I feel that we should explain a little bit about... Because we keep on talking about Charlie supposedly having some sort of ammonia habit, which is not true. So what happens is that he is actually trying to get a very stubborn stain. Okay, okay. Without becoming a tiresome internet explainer... Yeah. With that, hey, I'm going to tell you about something you already know about, but... I'm going to react like you never heard of that because I'm just blowing your mind, right? I mean, that is a problem. And I am going to have another Dark Knight of the Soul later about just what we're doing with our lives and this stupid, time-wasting excuse for entertainment that's known as podcasting. But right now, my big worry is infantilizing the listenership 
by explaining something they probably already know, which is the general setup of the, let's face it, GCSE English literature set text that is the upper hand. Right. Can I just take, because I mean, what you've given there is the sort of the open university version of that dilemma. I haven't shaved in a while, actually, and I do wear glasses, so kind of got the OU look going. Okay, so I'm going to take that off you now, and I'm going to turn that into an item on this morning, okay? Because I don't have any qualms at all. Well, I don't have any qualms at all about explaining it, because let's face it, the upper hand has not been on television for 20 years. So it's quite possible that maybe people listen to this who don't know what the hell the upper hand is. In the space of 30 seconds, I'm going to explain about the upper hand. And I'm waiting for the clock to strike the hour. So hang on, here it comes, here it comes, right go. Right, the upper hand is an ITV adaptation of an American series called Who's the Boss? And the basic premise is that an ex-sportsman becomes a housekeeper for a woman who is an executive, she's an advertising executive. And so it's a bit of a sort of role reversal business going on. And the the guy, he has a daughter who comes to live with him. And the woman who's there, she has a son. And also her mother is there. And her mother is played by Honor Blackman. And she's a bit of a sort of man-eater and what have you. And basically you've got this whole sort of will-you-won't-they business that goes on for long enough. And in the end they do. And then they bring it back for another series, which they shouldn't have done because they already had done it so to speak now actually that was 44 seconds so i did overstretch myself there a little bit but i started editorializing when when he said they shouldn't have brought it back i was i was actually a direct quote from colin weston on granada tv it's a direct quote from diane weston during an episode (laughs) (laughs) so here we are so it's series six so you know it's, it's been going on a bit by this point Here comes Charlie, and he has tried everything he can to get this stubborn stain off the top of the oven to the point where there's some funny old arm movements going on in that first couple of minutes or so. And it's all down to the camera angles to make it look clean and above board. Actually, the other day I had a freakout about the word dated. The Guardian published a piece of naked clickbait that was, let's watch some old comedies and say that they're rubbish. That'll get everybody arguing and clicking on it, even though they're already clicking on it just because they know they're going to disagree with it. But it doesn't matter because it's all about clicks. It's not about why you read it. It's just the fact that you read it. Ha, 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 ha. I didn't click myself. I'm a savvy surfer. But I knew that the word dated was going to be used a hell of a lot. And I think saying it's dated doesn't really work as a criticism of something that's just old. I think dated really only works when you're criticising something that is dated in its own time. The new show starts and its attitude seemed to be some weird kind of unconscious throwback. Then you can say, well, it's dated. It's dated attitude. I think saying, oh, don't watch that, it's dated. It's kind of like refusing to take history on its own terms. But I'm going to break that rule because there's this part of the upper hand has... Dated. I guess I'm using dated as a different one. I'm using it as a verb instead of an adjective. I never did work out the different words for words. I'm not saying the upper hand is dated. I'm saying the interesting, there's a bit of comedy here that has dated, which is, hey, there's a man cleaning. Get it? He's cleaning and he's a man. I would like just at this point, as a quick deviation to say out loud what every single listener was thinking about 
two minutes ago, and that is that it is not possible to simultaneously be savvy and also describe yourself as a surfer. It alliterates. I couldn't use a more contemporary word. Well, if you know of a more contemporary word that alliterates with savvy, you tell me. I know what you mean, but I'm going to say something moderately controversial here. I don't think that that's actually all that dated. Now, okay, I'm prepared for pitchforks coming in my direction, but I I don't think that if the upper hand was introduced today as a concept, I'm not altogether sure that that would just get puzzled looks from people to say, well, what the hell are you talking about? It's not not like... What the hell are you talking about? I think if there'd been a line of dialogue, that would have been one thing, but the audience were just laughing at a man cleaning... I don't know, it just seemed odd. Maybe they're already invested in Joe McGann's character that they're chuckling because, oh, that's Charlie, he's a clean freak. I don't know. I withdraw my accusation. So, in this episode, there's Charlie and he's pounding away at the hob and then turns out that some bloke who is supposed to be like an ex-footballer who Charlie knew and had done really well for himself as far as footballing was concerned. By the way, I'm going to call out a potential plot defect in just a second. So this footballer that Charlie knows, he's in the living room and it turns out that he's there to work with Caroline on some advert or whatever. Clearly, that role should have, because the role was just being played by an actor, but it should have been played by a footballer. It should have been like Gary Lineker or somebody who was recognisable. I mean, why the hell not? Says Pod. Well, I'm sorry to say that his, I'm sure, sterling career has passed me by. Says Fabregas, know who he is, but we'll leave it there on that score. Point is that the footballer's there. You know, Charlie comes in and he sees him and says, Oh, you bastard, how are you doing? What the fuck have you been up to? Right? And then, <laughs> like, the fella says, just, you know, pissing about. And, and yeah, as it turns out, he's doing an advert for whatever. You see, this, and- you might criticise the writers of <laughs> the upper hand, but this is why you are not a writer for any equivalent sitcom. <laughs> oh, you old dickwad. How oh, you diddling? Basically, banter and what have you. And then, oh. right. So, what? I didn't say bants. I know, but it's too close. Don't use the B word. Okay. So, they catch up on old times in the space of 10 seconds, as sitcom time permits. And then, Charlie sort of thinks to himself, oh, look, here's my mate that I used to play with. And it turns out that, you know, he, there he is and he's suit and what have you. And he's going off to do some stupid commercial and he's going to get paid shitloads for it. Meanwhile, here's me with my rubber gloves on uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to hammer out this stain that, you know Brillo pads won't take off and he's sort of thinking, oh what's gone on? What's gone wrong with my life? What's happened? And so there you are. So that's your basic setup. Now, What kind of horrible misogynist unreconstructed male am I that I find Caroline's outfit weird? Okay, I know where you're going. I'm going to actually support you on this. I mean, I could just throw you under the bus and say, how disgusting. How it looks earth can you be great. so... She looks great in it. Okay, can I tell you what it is? And again, and there's a lot of pitchforks already heading my way, and so I'm prepared that there may be some more after this. I apologise. I don't mean to be sexist or anything like that. Do you know what it is? It's the fact that it's the full buttoned-up collar and tie. That's what it is. Because I think that there's something about it that just doesn't quite look right. There's something about the cut of it. For those of you who don't actually want to go through the rigmarole of watching this particular episode of The Upper Hand, 
Caroline is wearing not just a pantsuit, it basically she's wearing a man's suit. Maybe the buttons button up on the feminine side, but she essentially looks like she's dressed as Winston Churchill, though he favoured a bow tie. It's very distracting because I'm waiting for some piece of dialogue to explain it. If I met somebody dressed like that in real life, wouldn't think anything about it apart from, hey, stylish. But when I see somebody in a sitcom dressed in such a really distinctive fashion, I'm waiting for the line. I've just twigged. I know why she's wearing that suit. It's to emphasise the situation from Charlie's point of view. Because not only is Charlie looking at his footballer friend and is envious of him, but then he looks at Caroline and she's wearing a sort of, like you say, a man's suit. And that's hammering home the point that there she's going off to do this business with the fella. Meanwhile, he's got rubber gloves on. So again, it's it's all sort of visual elements all playing into his screwed up psyche. I think they should have had maybe some sort of not particularly subtle emasculation metaphor going on as well. For some reason, she has a carving knife and she has to cut two sausages. objects from <laughs> something. And she's got a big string of sausages and she's cutting them. And she's enjoying it while she's doing it as well. Okay, so that's that's like throwing them in the hair and heading them across the room. It doesn't even extend the metaphor. I just think it would be fun to watch. And the last thing she says as she goes out the door is, oh, Charlie, uh, could you just check my bathroom up the stairs? And uh, if I'm low on things, could you get them? I'm talking about tampons, Charlie. And then she just runs out the door. Charlie goes back into the kitchen and he's not best pleased and he basically, there's no polite way of saying it, he puts his head in the oven, doesn't he? No, he, he does, doesn't he? He puts yes, his head in the I oven. Yes, I know, but don't explain the joke as if you thought of the joke. No, no, but I did. I did think of the joke and then Caroline's mum walks in and says, no, don't do it, Charlie. But he's going, haha, I'm just cleaning the oven. And then they talk about his situation and then she goes, what do you want then, gas mark five? That's cold. That is quite harsh. It's gone edgy all of a sudden on us. Well, it's 1994 and people demand uncomfortable viewing in sitcoms. Anyway, he says, pass me the bleach. She passes him what she thinks is a bleach and he pours it into a bucket and it's actually ammonia. Okay, and this, on the one hand, it's amusing to point out funny little quirks of shows from the past. On the other hand, this was just made to kill half an hour. Don't we feel ashamed of ourselves? It's a bit like... Have you ever watched an episode of the Adam West 1966 Batman in the company of somebody who reacts like the show isn't deliberately camp? Yeah, I know what you mean. Poor upper hand. They were just trying to make people smile. Is that what's happened? Yes. Have we become panelists on Never Mind the We've become that guy in Metal Mickey. No, we're not as bad as him. Good God. Whereas we should be more like Blakey. Or Bernie Winters, eee. or Roland Rett, which is also eee. really. You've missed out the fonts. And if you want to open this podcast in an editing program of your own choice, you've got some nice text alert sounds there. <laughs> There's another one. I don't know who did that. I'm sort of thinking we might be better off just making funny noises for the rest of the show. That well, actually was Professor my Professor Yaffle eating a Pop-Tart that's straight out of the toaster and it's a bit too hot and he's burnt his tongue. What would that sound like? <laughs> that's pretty good, actually. 
he gets the ammonia mixed up with the bleach and he goes, oh, I feel all funny. And then he lands on the floor. No, he talks and- to himself, though. That's the thing. He goes, ammonia and bleach, you're never supposed to mix those. Ugh. Now, the thing is, is that w- the time he spends pointing this basic information out to the audience is time he could have been backing away from the fumes and opening the kitchen door and getting a few lungfuls of good fresh air. So he doesn't even seem to back away. In fact, at one point, he seems to lean forward a little. Makes you think, doesn't it? So he passes out and it all turns pure sinister because he wakes up in somebody else's bed. and Not his own. Well, yes, but not. And seemingly he's living in like the sort of Playboy mansion or something like that. And he doesn't, of course, know what the hell's going on. And then, well, hey, it's Jimmy Logan. And he Can I go back and- over another thing that didn't work for me? So he wakes up in an unfamiliar bed that it turns out is his. He is next to some... What would never describe as a wag. And he has a line, something along the lines of, and I think he does misquote it, something like, Toto, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. And you can kind of see the light go out in Joe McGann's eyes. I'm not necessarily saying that he doesn't enjoy being in the upper hand, because I am sure that those people really enjoying themselves, and I don't doubt if you want to tell me that there was a great family atmosphere and that they got on great, that's fine. I don't think he's enjoying that line. Maybe he's not enjoying his... I know he doesn't say as much, but you can see it in his eyes. His poor attempt at impersonating Judy Garland for one line. That line just sticks in his throat, you can tell. Well, if he delivered it the way you delivered it just now, it would have been fine. What he said was, Oh, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore! (laughs) That was uncomfortable for me to say like that, so you can imagine how he felt being in vision as well. That sounded like Don Messick as Scooby-Doo as Julia Childs. (laughs) Point is that, in case you haven't tweaked by now, he... Is still Charlie Burroughs, but everything's a bit different. Oh, and the reason is, as his ex-manager, his ex-football team manager explains, he's been sent there to change things for him. He's given him his other life. He's given him the life that he should have had because he felt guilty about him getting injured in the game and not being able to fulfil his full potential as a footballer. So now he's got it all and he has got like all these homes everywhere and he has like a manager and an agent and what have you and everybody's pure fear of him and saying, Oh, you know, it's big bad Charlie Burroughs, you know, he can break a man's arm. Ted Robbins with a ponytail. Yes. Yeah. And they're all looking at him thinking, you know, he he could kneecap us just with one blink. So we've got to be careful what we say and all this kind of stuff. And of course he doesn't know what the hell's going on. And as it plays out, of course, even though we've got the Quantum Leap elements, it's sort of Charlie's it's a never life. watched Quantum Leap, has he? Because he's not genre savvy. He talks to invisible dead football manager. Because the football manager's dead, I don't know if we mentioned that. Charlie will never have seen BBC Two at When somebody else is in the room. Yeah, but it means he's never even watched Randall and Hopkirk deceased. He's never watched anything where anybody talks to a ghost or some other thing that nobody else can see. But he's not thinking straight, because he's just woken up and he's not where he should be. So he's not really detached from the process enough to be able to think, okay, hang on a second, I've got to work out the internal He's logic. never watched anything that's not match of the day. That's true. This sort of goes along for a bit, and it turns out that 
everybody who is associated with Charlie Burroughs in the real world is actually sort of still associated with him here. And in a way, some of them aren't really all that different. Yeah, that's a missed opportunity. So first of all, you've got Joe, his daughter, and it turns out that she's... She's the TV biggest scene. difference, actually. And she sets up something that they don't follow through with. When you see that she is gobbier, she is more ignorant. Sorry, I stole your thunder. No, it's okay. It's all right. I mean, I agree, but also she is publicly slating them. She's written supposedly some fictitious novel. I think what you're looking for is Romana Clay. Is it? Yeah. So anyway, that's a novel where you know exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says fictional, but we know who this is about. Okay. Which happened, of course, to Philip Mackey, television writer, with his TV series The Organization, which was supposed to just be about corporate culture and office politics and everyone ask Granada I bet I know who that is causing a bit of trouble I believe I'd still like it to be released on DVD so anyway Joe's not best pleased with Charlie and she's talking about lousy Fowler he's been because he's never there and he's too busy swanning off in his bloody private jet and all this kind of stuff now Caroline then turns up and she is basically working with Charlie on some advert, which he's clearly doing just to build up his own profile, even though it's supposed to be like a public information film. So all this time, we're getting this awful picture of Charlie as a human being. Remember I said earlier on that I was going to mention a flaw in the plot? Well, I'm going to hold on to it for a bit longer, okay? By the way, can I just mention, I was only explaining the term Romana Clay to Mooncat. I know all you people out there know exactly what it means. So you think that everybody knows what Romana Clay is, but they don't know what the upper hand is? It's like a court record. You know all those, all that stuff about judges going, who are the Beatles? They have to say that so that this court record, which can have some effect on future decisions, isn't full of ephemeral pop cultural references. Often judges will ask questions they already know the answer to so that it will be taken down and written down in the court record. That's what I was doing upper hand-wise, because somebody might, in the future, 500 years from now, find this podcast and be very frustrated about all the references to a television show, the format of which we haven't fully explained. But I think the language of French will still exist, and they'll know what Romain Claire means. Well, can I just say, if you are listening to this podcast 500 years after its release date, then... Welcome! Tweet us at the Sitcom Club or email us at feedback at sitcomclub.com. It may just be, now I think about it, that those two methods of communication no longer exist in their current form. Oh, maybe that's all that's left. Ah. The point is, as is sort of hammered away into part two, that Charlie is not a very nice bloke. It's a bit sort of odd, because this is where sort of the quantum leap business is sort of correct. Because where you have... Captain Picard the second suddenly turning up and inhabiting somebody else's body, then he is still acting as himself and then has to start acting as he's supposed to act in those circumstances as that person so that it doesn't confuse everybody else around him, if that makes sense. Now, even though we're hearing all these terrible things about Charlie, Charlie is not just suddenly some pantomime villain in this. He's actually alright. He's just lovable Charlie Burroughs. So he's not any different. 
everything that he's apologizing for and everything that he's hearing is all but his past performance, so to speak. But it's not like he's suddenly got a huge Captain Hook moustache and, and he's going around saying, ah, oh, yes, he is. And the audience is shooting back, oh, no, he isn't. All that kind of stuff. None of that going on. Well, that fits in, doesn't it? I mean, if in Quantum Leap, Sam leaps into the body of a real bad and he doesn't decide, I'm going to have to continue being bad just to make sure nobody lets on that things have changed. He changes his behaviour so that the particular result he's working towards will come to pass. And anyway, the whole Quantum Leap element is really only a few special effects. This is a Quantum Leap parody that's been made to work in such a way that if you've never seen Quantum Leap, you're still getting the idea. Okay. It was never, ever going to happen, and even if it had been suggested, it wouldn't have happened. But wouldn't it have been nice, just for the hell of it, if they had remade the upper hand titles just for this one episode in the style of Quantum Leap? Because even then, that wouldn't have really thrown people, would it? I mean, it's just different. And if you get the reference, then fantastic. And if you don't, then it doesn't matter, because it's not like the whole episode that follows is full of in-jokes or anything like that. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Why don't just get Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell? Point is that over the course of sort of 15 minutes or so, you've got the chest, you know what's going on, and you sort of know what's coming up. His ex-manager pops up, because he's his guide and what have you, and even though Charlie started this whole misadventure by saying, way, hey, look at me and my four homes, I'm a big cheese and what have you. And he's been married three times. Has he? Yes, we were talking about the different houses because at one point he goes, so this flat is mine. He goes, you also have homes in is it Florida, Milan, and Essex. And then later on, he mentions you've been married three times. He goes, have I? And he goes, yes, to women from Florida, Milan, and Essex. But um, He must have some really amazing lawyers if he's actually managed to keep possession of the house. Well, I was just thinking that, actually, because at one point this housekeeper says about the lady that he was with right at the start, that wasn't his wife, unless, of course, it turns out that he's married her, and then he says, no, don't worry, we'll sort that out again. Now, really, he should be absolutely bloody bankrupt and in the gutter by this point, shouldn't he? I mean, he should be doing advertisements in the Sunday sport for little blue pills just to pay that month's maintenance. But, as you say, he's doing all right. Unless he the must have some really mean lawyers, or maybe there was intimidation involved. Prenuptial agreement. Ah, okay. I get everything. Side Charlie Burroughs, okay. <laughs> By the end of this whole charade, he says to the manager, oh, I want to go back. I want to go back to the way things were. Whoa, 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 just, whoa, 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 whoa. Have we jumped to the end of the episode? Well, yes, we have. But well, what were we going to say? Because have we dealt with the fact that Caroline, who in Earth Prime is Charlie's fiance and former employer... And they're going to get hitched and everything's looking good. And in this world, it is Charlie who's doing the advertising. And he's obviously previously met Caroline as part of working on this campaign and has been a real sleaze to her because she is all fight and contempt for Charlie. And she doesn't have her own advertising agency. And Charlie mentions, ah, because I wasn't there to encourage... again. He's thinking out loud, and he should know by this point, this is not your old world, Charlie. Don't say this stuff in front of people. So, assuming that Caroline's world is a bit worse, in a significant way, 
we find out that her son goes to boarding school because Charlie then manages to go to Caroline's house as part of an apology for his earlier behaviour. And Laura doesn't live, Laura being Caroline's mother, played by Anna Blackman, Laura doesn't live at Caroline's house like she does in Earth Charlie. What I'm saying is I would have liked to have seen things just ever so slightly grimmer. It's not all that different. That's the thing. I mean, What's okay, everybody's... called? I remember what the, the actor's name is, but I can't remember what the bloody character is. Tom. So when he goes to see Caroline, I would have liked to have seen Tom have a bit of a poor attitude. Maybe be a bit like that guy in Metal Mickey. Well, okay, are we going to say actually what I said out loud when we were watching it? Which was? I said that he should just be like Zamo in Grinch Hill. Or as I said, he should have been like Mr. Bronson. That would have been bloody weird, wouldn't it? Knock on the door says, the, Tom is just a voiceover, just comes in. For the purposes of this episode, Tom is played by Michael Sheard. I don't know, are we over-egging the pudding or are they under-egging the pudding? On the one hand, you could say, oh, come on, you're just saying that, what, without a father figure, Tom would have gone completely off the rails? Are you basically criticising single-parent families? No, no, I don't know. Your... No, I'm, I'm no. just I'm taking the voice of somebody who might be looking at our take on things. You're saying people can't be happy without a man in the house or a McGann in the house. McGann about the house. That would have... And then, of course, you'd have to change Charlie's name and it would be confusing. Going, Is this based on something that really happened to Joe McGann? Because otherwise... Anyway. Now you are over-egging the pudding. So what's your opinion on this? Because should they have made things just a little bit worse? I'm not saying that Tom should be Tiny Tom and they should have put makeup to make him look drawn and he should have been <coughs> coughing all the time. No, I don't think that is what you're saying. I think what you're saying correctly is that in order to give the storyline a bit more oomph, then you'd rather have the characters be rather more different than they are. So the truth okay, of the so matter what, is... What should Tom have been like? Because right now he is good old Tom as we know and love him, only he has to go to boarding school and that is a bit of a drag. You see, no, because you know that I'm now resisting the urge to just come out with something like he should just be a raving smack addict or something like that, because that's straight away what I'm thinking, that he should be polar opposite to what Tom is like in the upper hand. And that in the moment that he lets Charlie into the house, he's going through his wallet and he's already not only lifted all the cash that's out of there, but he's also taken an imprint of all of his credit cards as well. Really, I think there's only two ways to take Tom. Jerk or wimp? You can do it like this, right? Because even though there is still sort of blame being attached here, then the blame is being put against the system rather than an individual. So you can make it so that Tom has far less manners and... Fewer. Tom has poor grammar, <laughs> uses prepositions at the ends of sentences, <laughs> splits infinitives. And you it's said very you subtle, the isn't it? It's very subtle change. And you said you didn't know the difference between a bloody verb and an adjective. Right. So basically, you've got Tom displaying antisocial behavior. However, it's not because he was in a one-parent family. It's because he was sent to boarding school, so therefore he's picked up all these bad habits from all these other kids 
that he's boarding with. And that's fine because you can get annoyed at a sitcom having a go at the system, inverted commas. No, actually, I'm being sarcastic there when I say you can get annoyed at that because if you were, for example, the governor of a boarding school, then you've got every right to be extremely annoyed at that stereotype if your particular school is doing its best to actually you know, have fine upstanding citizens graduating from the school and not have them come out as sarcastic, mouthy, stuck-up little shits. Point is, that's going to cause less offence. No, I'm going to quote Bernard Woolley here. How about a monocle? (laughs) (laughs) In fact, instead of Michael Sheard, Ian Ogilvy in uh, Ripping Yarns mode. (laughs) So, knock at the door. Tom opens it, and Charlie's in, I'm here to see Caroline. Oh, you're here to see Caroline, are you? You disgusting little man. (laughs) You miserable little dick. Anthony Valentine in full Toby Mears mode, so there's a little element of sadism. The other route would be to make Tom a wimp. So he opens the door and, Mommy, it's one of those... It's one of those rough boys. Oh, 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 hang on the minute then. That is a huge slam on Tristram Fourmile in George and Mildred. Are you saying that Tristram Fourmile is actually living in some kind of hell that should have been prevented? That Charlie Burroughs should actually say to his manager, look, I've decided I don't want to stay in this life as a professional footballer and I don't want to go back to my life as a housekeeper. I want to go through time and space putting right what once went wrong and first stop, Cracks Knuckles, let's teach that Jeffrey Fourmile a thing or two about the right way to bring up a boy. So then you really extend the quantum leap metaphor. But it's sitcom quantum leap. Sit quantum leap. <laughs> when you say he's going to teach Jeffrey Fourmile a lesson, do you mean he's going to break his legs with a cricket bat? Charlie's in danger of losing the sympathy of the audience here. Well, it's not a bad idea. I'm going to now introduce my outrageous plot criticism and then i'm going to suggest an alternative route that the whole episode could have taken so we've spent the last 15 minutes establishing how charlie is a bad one and he gets up to no good and all this is because he realized his dream became a successful footballer rewind first three minutes of the episode he met his ex-teammate who became a successful footballer and is now making some sort of endorsement for advertising and what have you. And He's a nice guy. He isn't a bastard. I mean, he just seemed to be a nice bloke. And even when Charlie's discomfort was obvious and he was looking for like an escape route out of the room, the guy didn't rub it in or say anything like, well, aren't you going to go back to your cleaning, Charlie? Or anything like that. He just said, look, next time I'm in town, you know, we'll, we'll catch up. He was... Polite and pleasant, and he didn't roll up his trouser legs and go, Look at that knee. That's a healthy knee. That's what a healthy knee looks like. You've probably forgotten that, haven't you, Charlie? Eh? Old man, bad knees. <laughs> they give him a boot in the stones for his trouble. And also, did Carolina. He didn't have a monocle, say... though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Did Carolina at any point say, Oh, I've got to spend all day with that ex teammate of yours? Oh, the dirty bastard. You want to hear the things that he gets up to? <laughs> Nothing like that. No. <laughs> It was just... (laughs) Those exact words in that exact accent. It's a bit like, you know, those time travel stories where... I know this is travelling to the past rather than sideways, 
But you know those time travel stories where the person gets back to their own time, but just one thing's out of place. It's like, okay, I've decided, dead football manager, send me back to my own life. And ex-football manager goes, okay, as he's fading away. By the way, Caroline's played by Elaine C. Smith. <laughs> hey, doesn't bother me. That'd be fine to me. It would sort of re-energize my interest in the show. That's because you're so parochial. Well, I don't know if it would go down too well with the audience who've stuck with the existing characters. For well, six I did have an even more outrageous have. suggestion, which I think would be even more likely to lose the sympathy of the audience. <laughs> right at the end, the dead football manager looks at Charlie and says, well, and Charlie says, football's in my blood, I'm going to stay here. And that's it. The, the episode ends saying, by the way, all of your emotional investment for the last few years counts for nothing. Did you ever see Limmy's review of Star Trek 2009? No. It upset him. Because as far as he was concerned, as far as some Star Trek people were concerned, what did they call them? Flumps, that's it. Wombles. <laughs> Merry Mungo and Midge. It's like Tourette's. It's like television <laughs> nostalgia Tourette's. Mr. TSW, 1984. <laughs> what do they call those Star Trek fans? Oh, yeah, Jim Bacon, that's it. What was my point? Oh, yeah, Star Trek 2009. It's, for some people, the message that was being put across was, oh, yeah, you know, all that stuff with William Shatner, all the stuff you liked, didn't happen. But do you not think that that would have brought the upper hand and, by extension, mainstream sitcom into interesting new territory, if that is what happened? I didn't enjoy Star Trek Into Darkness. I'm not sure I would have enjoyed Upper Hand Into Darkness. <laughs> so maybe it's best that they had the wedding, it was supposed to be the last episode, and they, they made another series that at least was still recognisable. Speaking of which, we did tell a dreadful lie in Thanksgiving 2013. Remember when we did all those comparisons between... American and US sitcoms, and we watched an episode of Who's the Boss and an episode of The Upper Hand. And I said this because I didn't do my research. I had heard the complaint, Who's the Boss? They never got married. That had left me with the impression that Who's the Boss had just left everybody hanging. That they do what we, in our endings classification system, call an unacknowledged ending. That's not true. We've watched the last episode. And I would say that what they did was an essentially definitive ending. Spoilers for a 30-year-old show, 25, whatever. It didn't end with a wedding, but it ended with, here is the sword, <laughs> the metaphorical sword. You don't need to see it fall. It ended with, they'd already been, as far as you can tell, engaged or some sort of a couple for a while. They are together, and they're together for good. I guess some people would just like to have seen who's the boss, woman in a nice dress, getting married. But they did go most of the way. Can we just talk about what huge slam on Iowa that episode was? Yeah, okay, but we don't need to go into the specifics of the episode, but basically, American Caroline was living in Iowa because that's where American Charlie had moved to, to become a baseball coach or something. And she's now looked down upon by her mother because she goes to the bowling alley and at one point she says, oh you drink beer now do you? Hmm. And I was thinking, well, there must have been at least half a dozen beer adverts in that airing of Who's the Boss. 
It's not like they've turned into trailer park trash. They've just moved to Iowa. But also that I mean, thing that he's going to have a special presentation. He's got himself a nice, if I must use the word, tuxedo. And there's a mention of, oh, I couldn't get you a powder blue one. And then, of course, his boss comes in and he's wearing the powder blue one and said, hey, it's the last one of the shop. Sorry, I got it before you. And everybody's going, because yokels, they think that wearing a powder blue tuxedo is, I mean, what I'm saying is the entire audience of who's the boss, every single man, woman and child sitting in the audience was wearing a monocle. <laughs> Okay, I've got this idea. This is not specifically to end that episode. Well, let that episode end where it ended, which, in case you hadn't guessed by now, Charlie wakes up and everything's back to normal and everything's fine. That happens. The thing is that you're just going to think that this is me bullshitting and just engaging in whimsy <laughs> for the hell of it. But actually, okay, I'm going to suggest that we're going to surprise the audience. We're going to swear off the audience. The upper hand is going to finish... Every time you say that, with... I think about that wrestler threatening to pull his trunks down and <laughs> defecate in the ring. <laughs> well, how, how on earth did you read my mind and realise that that was going to be my new ending for the upper hand? No, right. Okay, so we're going to be edgy and we're actually going to make a, an impact with that last episode because everybody is expecting the wedding and, okay... I've seen the last episode of The Upper Hand, but it's been like 20 years since I saw it. So I'm presuming it's going to be something like, it's the day of the wedding and everybody's flapping about. And then there's a possibility, oh, they might not get married or something because somebody's got cold feet or there's been some balls up and, and somebody's stranded somewhere or some stupid shit. Some sort of question mark about, oh, maybe they won't get married, but they do. And everything's fine. And then it comes back, like we said, for that extra series, which they shouldn't really have done because you know, it's already peaked and what have you. Right. Now, Stick with me on this, because you're going to think, oh, don't be so bloody stupid. But no, I, I want us to run with this, okay? And we're going to challenge the ITV audience. We're going to shake them up out of the comfort zone, okay? So it's the last episode. It's the day of the wedding. And of course, as we know, you know, bride and groom not supposed to see each other on the morning of the wedding and what have you. Get to the church. And there's Caroline. There's no sign of Charlie. Where's Charlie got to? What's happened? It's probably some sort of mishap involving bleach and ammonia getting mixed up in the same bucket or something like that. And, you know, everybody's sort of looking a bit fraught and wondering, oh God, what's going on? And then, suddenly, you hear them say, actually, it's not just Charlie that's not here. That's when the big reveal comes. Charlie and Laura run off with each other. And Caroline bursts in on them at the local travel lodge, and they are. And when I say bursts in on them, and they are caught in the act, I mean they are caught in the act, and nothing, nay, nothing is left to the imagination. Now, bear in mind that the water shed is a gradual thing, so things that happen at one minute to nine are totally different to things that would be allowed at four o'clock in the afternoon. So that is going to be my conclusion. You've arranged the opening credits in such a way that you've cleverly had the end credits at the start, like an American program, for example, so there's no need to have lengthy end credits at the end. So this is going to be the last shot. She walks in. Oh my God, Charlie Muller, how could you? And that's it. Bang. Finished. Done. Kaput. Onto an advert for Fairy Liquid. And now here comes Bullman or something, right? Oh, yeah, now, I love Bullman. I just bought that on DVD. Fantastic show. Do you not think that that would make the audience sit up straight? 
do you not think that the duty offices of the various ITV companies would have been overwhelmed with phone Talk calls? Talk about franchise loss. Do- <laughs> yes. I think there's going to be a restaging of the 1991 auction after this. Do you not think that Gary Bushall in The Sun the next day would have been apoplectic in his response to this conclusion? It would still be talked about to this day. It would still be in every single top 10 list of OMG, did you see that TV moment? I mean, it would be internationally known. It would be something that you would see listed on TMZ countdowns and stuff like this. As if, oh, you won't believe what those crazy Brits did. um, If TMZ ever gave Ludovic Kennedy his own show, I think it'd be called OMG, did you see that? <laughs> no, okay. Be honest. On a scale of one through to ten, what IMDB rating are you going to give that conclusion to the upper hand? Six. I'm disappointed it isn't higher, but explain. Eh, it's okay. Bit of a shock tactic, isn't it? I think we're above that kind of thing. Who is? The people of 1994. No, no, but bear in mind, right? And do you know why, actually? I've chosen that because my memory is probably playing tricks on me but i've got a funny feeling that the final episode of the upper hand was actually moved to a saturday night to go opposite the national lottery which had only just launched at that time late 1994 Ah. and so it would have been a spoiler against the bbc's new fun-filled saturday night so what better way to make an impact than that who the hell is going to be talking about the bloody lottery numbers after that's just happened and actually, I've just thought of something else as well. If they want to be really, really clever about this, if memory serves, ITN used to flash up the lottery numbers on the screen during whatever program was going out at the same time, like Blind Date or whatever. Now, if you want to be really, really clever about it, you could have whatever it was that Charlie and Laura were getting up to in the room. And when that lottery number pops up on the screen, the caption crucially obscures a section of the image. That allows you to sort of get it pre-watershed. The McGann anatomy, I think that's what you were talking about, or as we call it professionally, McGannatomy. (laughs) I don't know what profession it is. I have two ideas. Okay. One, I haven't seen the wedding episode recently. What I imagine was vitally missing from the wedding episode that the last episode of Who's the Boss had was a massive slam on the rural parts of the country. Because I know you can say, oh, they're just insulting Iowa. No, by extension, they were insulting the entire Midwest. It was a massive poke in the eye with a sharp stick for America's heartland. Caroline, Charlie, little bit of last minute. Oh, is it all going to go smoothly? They get married. They have a lovely time. Have their pictures taken. And we see them at the reception. And the wedding cake is a nice big wedding cake with royal icing. It is pristine white. It has been beautifully made. And instead of the traditional bride and groom on the top, it actually has writing done in icing. And it says, Wiltshire is a dump. Did you think that there was Roll credits. The slim... Do you think there's a slim... Well, the camera slowly zooms in just to make sure the, the letters are legible on screen. Onto the word just jump, just... I think. <laughs> and that's not me saying that, though. I am merely translating the snooty metropolitan contempt of who's the boss over to the upper hand. Idea number two. 
You know what the mistake of that final series was after the wedding? You say it's a mistake. You say it's problematic. Now, going straight, I'm sure you like going straight. Yes? I just saw an episode of that last week. Yes, I did. Good stuff. Because it's not called Porridge or Porridge 2. It's put a line down saying, this is the same characters, but it's different. There is a change in the setup. So let's just do a line in the sand. Six series, only six series of The Upper Hand. Series seven is called The Other Hand. Not The Lower Foot. That's a village in Wiltshire, actually, where they still <laughs> burn Joe McGann in effigy. <laughs> well, it should be called On The Other Hand. or But then, On The Other Hand... It, it, it's got dot, that dot, nice. Dot. No, it's got that nice symmetry with the upper hand, the other hand, but it just draws a little line saying, "Don't bring your upper hand expectations to this show." It's called "What Have You Got in Your Other Hand?" Question mark. Well, that sounds like no. it should be presented by Magnus Pike. I think we've uh, said everything that can usefully be said. <laughs> I still like the idea of Charlie and Laura getting down to it. And I didn't even mention what fruit and veg was well, involved. But what the hell? Fanfiction.net, I mean, isn't that right? No, way? no, God, no, 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 no. We, we can't go back there. No, not after the um, Never the Twin incident. Nothing happened about Never the Twin. There wasn't any Never the Twin incident. Just made that up. But, okay, so what did you think? Well, first of all, presumably you were flabbergasted when you found out that there was a Quantum Leap-flavoured episode of The Upper Hand. No, I wasn't. Was I. I took it in my stride. You were the one who... Bust a blood vessel. Well, I am willing to admit now that that episode happened. I've seen the evidence with my own eyes. And let's be honest about it. I mean, I saw the evidence within about five minutes of you telling me about it in the first place because you found it on YouTube and sent it to me. But, yeah, what the hell? I don't want us to sound like we're being a couple of talking heads on some 90s bloody clip show because, yeah, we're just taking the piss because... We're not wearing monocles. Oh, you're entertaining the masses, are you? Oh, yes. Oh, it's Mr. Joseph McGann and his troop of Pierros to caper nimbly for our entertainment. It's not the kind of thing we do here, for good reason. <laughs> so, do you know what? It wasn't half bad. It's perfectly all right. and Could have lost I the Toto I... line for me and for Joe. Yeah, yeah, well, fair enough, yeah. But... Put it this way, when you first described it to me, I thought, oh my god, this is going to be horrible. I thought it was going to be like that sequence in Never Decreasing Circles. Oh, 24 minutes. Ooh. That's what I thought it was going to be like, right? And of course, it wasn't like that at all. It was perfectly good. So, in the meantime... Well, next week, we're going to be talking about the sitcom, which is set in somewhere far, far worse than Wiltshire. Oh, it's set in the very hell on earth that is Glasgow. Excuse me. That was me trying to sound offended. However, we're not going to be talking about Still Game, as you might have predicted there. And we're not going to be talking about Ramsey Nesbitt. We're actually going to be talking about a lovely little sitcom from the 1980s called City Lights. Starring Gerard Kelly, Andy Gray, and many others besides. So, in the meantime, if you have anything that you want to get in touch with us about, if you've got any suggestions for a future show, or any feedback for us, you can tweet us at The Sitcom Club. You can find us on Facebook as The Sitcom Club page. And you can email us feedback at sitcomclub.com. 
In the meantime, Ocho, any closing thoughts from yourself? Wiltshire is a fine county, and I have at least one friend from there. Or I used to. In the meantime, on behalf of Ocho, this is Hey Ho Moo Co. Saying thank you very much indeed for listening to the Sitcom Club. <laughs>